0: Thank you so much, Jackie. That was fantastic. Um, We're in this series on the book of Proverbs, and uh, we thought we would do one on parenting today for obvious reasons. I will never forget 22nd of September, 2000. This is coming up 23 years ago, when I first heard the tiny, bleating cry of a little bundle of humanity with a shock of black hair. He weighed less than eight pounds which is about the same as an Xbox 360. That was my main point of reference in those days. It had been exhausting. Melissa was admitted on Wednesday lunchtime. Will was eventually born late on Friday night by emergency C-section. 56 hours of labor. It was exhausting and tough. It was quite hard for Melissa as well. But here he was, Uh, and now we were parents. Hadn't planned this, (laughs) but what a privilege and what a responsibility. And what on earth are we going to do now? Now, there's a cultural perspective that's worth mentioning here. Older members of the congregation will remember the traditional approach to parenting. Children should be seen and not heard. My mother in law remembers that from, from her childhood, and uh, it was not necessarily a, a nurturing environment in every family. There was a higher emphasis on strictness, boundaries, order, discipline, not on nurturing and participation. Now, the culture swung completely to the other end of the spectrum, didn't it? To the child centered philosophy. Children were given great freedom to discover, to make up their own boundaries parents were supportive guides rather than exercising any kind of authority and you can see that each of those approaches those two extremes has some strengths to it and some very clear uh, shadow sides where do we find ourselves today i think we might be a bit confused yet parenting remains one of the greatest responsibilities that a human being could be entrusted with i can't think of many responsibilities that are actually more significant. So we must learn how to raise children well. And actually, let me just say, this goes for all of us, not just people who have children. Now, you know the cliche, it takes a village to raise a child? That phrase actually captures something that's true. These parents today have dedicated themselves to bring up these little ones to know the Lord but they cannot do it alone, can they? They cannot do it alone. We may not live in a village, but it takes a church to raise a child. So we're all in it, and we've actually just made that promise. So all of us as family, friends, church family of King's Church Chesanon have a vital part to play in supporting uh, Ben and Beck and Matt and Davina and Dexter and Jackie in this, this important to us, We can be encouragers. We can support them. We can come alongside. We can help practically. We can be an example to their children. We can help teach them. We all need to know how to raise children well. And as with so many other issues in life, there is no rule book. There's no manual. There's no straightforward question of black and white, and it's always obvious. Uh, We need Wisdom, and the Bible talks about wisdom as going with the grain of reality that God has created. The Bible has several books devoted to the topic of wisdom, wisdom for different aspects of life. And the one that deals with the nitty-gritty of life is called Proverbs. Uh, we've been doing that for a month here at the church. It's found right in the middle of the Bible. It comes from the time of King Solomon, who was famous for his wisdom, God-given wisdom. So it was written about 3,000 years ago. 3,000 year old. Hebrew wisdom. And we've been using a book. Oh, I haven't got one here. Oh, and he's no, not that one, sorry, the blue one. We've, got, we've been using a, a devotional book, uh, selling this book at the church. Someone might even, John's not going to sprint. He's just going to walk, because he's a very dignified man these days, you know. There was a time he would have sprint. Oh, he's coming. He's still got it. He's a very fine sportsman. Thank you, John. You're, you're, a, you're a, a champ. This book, The Way of Wisdom, is a fantastic resource for you. Talk about it with friends, maybe with family. And we're selling it for eight pounds here. I think it's cheapest you can get it, new. And this is a great resource to go through a proverb every day for the year. And we've been working through that. And I've got to tell you now, it's confession time, all right? I've actually been quite ill this week. And I've not had as much time as I wanted to prepare. So this message is highly reliant on that book. (laughs) Okay, But I always think if you're going to steal, steal from the best. I've got three points about parenting. The first one is discipline. I think that's probably predictable. The second one is environment. And the third is delight. Discipline, environment, and delight. So hopefully the text will come up as we read them again. Jackie's already read them for us. Proverbs 19 says this, Discipline your children. Come on, bring it up, guys. Discipline your children, for in that... There is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. <laughs> These things are written to, to shock us. Now, the word discipline in the original language speaks of a kind of spectrum from training and coaching on one end to correction, you know, setting straight, or even punishment, you know, d- Discipline. And it's varying degrees along that, depending on the situation. This word, discipline, is used of God and the way he he raises up his children, his people. He disciplines us for our good. And God's parenting is perfect. So while the primary goal of parents is is to raise children to be wise and know what's right and wrong, one of the main ways we do this is by establishing boundaries and having right discipline within them. Consequences if the boundaries are broken. And consequences that are consistent, not just made up on the spot. Now this verse warns us of far-reaching consequences in children's lives if we don't use healthy discipline. Hence that shocking second line, don't be a willing party to their death. In other words, if we don't bring careful controlled consequences into our children's lives. They will go out into the world and bring far worse things upon themselves. See, a little bit of pain now, in a controlled way from a parent who loves them, is far better than what the world will do to them if they don't learn self-control. You could inflict minor sadness now and save great pain later. Do it while they're young and there's hope that the child will learn from your training and gain self-control, and if not, you could be a willing party to bad things happening. Now, I'm going to mention my wife a few times in this sermon, not to be sentimental, but just because I think she's a really amazing mother. And I've learned from her. Uh, she's very good at establishing boundaries. She was a school teacher, I think that helped. And this is one of those things that there's no rule book. There's no you know, question of this is what we all do. So I'm going to give you an example now, but please don't think... Oh, the pastor said we should all do this, right? It's not like that. We're not legalists. I'm just giving you some wisdom that came from my wife. For us, the presence of the internet and mobile phone access really needs careful boundary setting. Because we want to raise kids who have the habit of being fully present when they're with other people, not forever doing this. What did you say? <laughs> because of the possible time wasted on addictive games. And actually, the mental effect of skimming and not reading. It actually affects your brain, quite literally. The brain is plastic, and it's shaped, depending on how you use it. The disruption of sleep if phones are in the bedroom. And the access that other people may have to the kids through the phone in the darkness of the night. And of course, the far too easy availability of really evil content. Now, all of these things require, make us, as a, as a family, put boundaries in place. Now, you must balance the fact that whatever boundary you put in, it's probably going to be stricter than most of the kid's friends. And the child might balk at that. And you don't want to make the Christian life seem even harder than it already is. But the sobering reality is that the use of mobile phones and internet access can bring great evil into your child's life that you don't even know about. And you'd be very foolish to ignore that. So we had to put things in place. Now, the next verse might cause a sharp intake of breath. One person actually advised me not to read this. Okay, Here we go. A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Now the word rod concerns modern readers. Some of you were thinking Rod Stewart. It's not that. It's talking about a, a, like a, a stick that would be used to uh, correct or smack a child in the time that when this book was written, 3,000 years ago. Now let me say, child abuse of any kind is a great evil. And it goes against the entire spirit of the Bible and of Proverbs itself. But the horrors of abuse have led some people to conclude that any kind of physical discipline is unethical and should be outlawed. Now we don't have time to get into that debate here, but we should note that when the Proverbs speaks of the rod, it's referring to something that was a symbol of authority and discipline. It's a symbolic word. Just like we might talk about the crown as a symbol of rule or the sword of justice as a symbol of justice. doesn't mean we're really going to use a sword, but we're going to have justice. So the rod speaks of authority and discipline within a family. Uh, This proverb itself points out that you need more than physical discipline because it says a rod and a reprimand. That's a verbal instruction. And the whole book of Proverbs condemns us being harsh disciplinarians by its tone. But we must in families agree means of discipline that are appropriate to the time, the age of the child, the culture that we're in. You've got to agree as mum and dad before the incident happens you can't be debating discipline in front of a child. It's not a good course. But whatever you choose it should never be cruel or administered in anger. And of course That goes just as much for words as for corporal discipline. Harsh language, wounding criticism, the failure to encourage, nitpicking, withering remarks, emotional blackmail, cruel threats. These things can do much more harm to a child than the odd wooden spoon on the seat of correction. And you a parent who would say to their child, I don't love you now. You can never say that. So let's be careful. But let's, not, let's beware that we do need to use discipline. Now the next um, proverb is really famous and it brings uh, this rod a- again. Whoever spares the rod hates their child. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now parenting requires a lot more than just discipline. But it never requires less. There's a fight going on, and it's not a fight between the parent and the child. It's a fight for the battle of self-control that every child needs. Or they will find the world to be a very painful place. You're fighting for them so that they will learn self-control, and they will learn to choose wise ways. But let me say this, discipline is hard on everyone. It's hard on the child, and it's hard on the parents. Nobody enjoys it. And when disciplined, the child may react to you with self-pity and anguish. And you might be tempted to pull back and just go soft. And by the way, children are not stupid. They are capable of emotional blackmail from a very young age. We knew that our kids had figured out exactly when the right time was to to throw a complete temper tantrum. And it was in the middle of a busy shop. And the reason was, you can get away with murder in a shop because your parents are too scared to be seen to discipline you. Never did that at home. Kids are very intelligent, and so Proverbs warns: if we don't exercise discipline, we are actually hating our kids. Now remember, the Proverbs uses dramatic language to make a point. What's the point? Good discipline is actually loving a child. Good discipline is loving a child. So if you crumple, you cave in and you don't discipline, you're actually loving yourself, not them. Quote from the book, it is easy to punish in anger rather than in love. Rather than sitting on the sofa, shouting unfulfilled threats with increasing irritability, parents must respond instantly to any disobedience while they're still calm, and see that consequences are imposed. So it gives us a perspective on the importance of discipline but how it should be employed. Now, just as important as discipline, but really linked to it, is the environment that parents create. And this is my second point, the environment that uh, parents create. And the guy's gonna bring up this next uh, slide from Proverbs 4. I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother, and cherished by my mother then he taught me this is his dad and he said to me take hold of my words with all your heart keep my commands and you will live then the next verse Proverbs 20 verse 7 says the righteous lead blameless lives blessed happy are their children after them these Proverbs take us to the important matter of how we pass on wisdom to children we have to realize it takes much much more than just discipline and maybe us dads need to realize that more than mums it takes much much more than discipline to to raise a child well it's a matter of the entire environment the whole atmosphere of the home is involved the family life and how you are together and the example of the parents own lifestyle this comes out in these verses with a rich combination of three factors. Our words, our lives, and our affection. Firstly, our words. It says, My father taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. The parent's job is to teach, to instruct, to show the value and importance of what is being communicated. Now, here's the thing. Do we spend enough time with our kids just talking? people sometimes make a distinction between quality time and quantity time. You know, quality time is like it's really significant time. And quantity is just like being together, hanging out. But it's actually a bit of a false distinction because quality time usually only occurs in the midst of a quality of time. We find this on holiday. We go into the southeast of Spain and we do pretty much nothing for as long as we can. And those are the times where bubbling up, Out of nowhere, one of our kids will raise something really significant. Or we'll have a chance to mention something to them that we we think is important to talk about. Um, But it's it's the importance of our words, not just correction, but being present with them so that you're there to talk to them because they just want to hear from you. I've noticed this over the years of ministry with young men who grew up without a dad in the house. They just want to be around older guys. They just kind of need a dad. You don't even have to do much. You don't have to be a genius. Just be yourself and talk. Words. But you know what? Words, on their own, are actually empty if they're not backed up by your life. Children are sensitive to fakes. They see hypocrisy. And the older they get, the more they see it. Oh, boy. If we are inconsistent, they are going to be the ones who see and so chapter 20, verse 7, says that the righteous lead blameless lives. Now look, this word blameless doesn't actually mean perfect. Okay, this is not holding us to some standard we can never reach. But it does mean integrity. It's, we talk about a building has got integrity if it's whole, if it's sound, if it's unified. It's not kind of one part of it's totally badly put together and falling down. Righteous people walk in integrity. They have a whole life. The life is the same on the outside as the inside. Same in the home as it is outside. And one of the most, one of the most sharp and, and right rebukes that my wife occasionally gives me is this. You wouldn't do that, you wouldn't have said that if someone from the church was here. Okay. We've got to walk in integrity and be blameless. not perfect. Now, we all know that if we urge a child to live in some way, take some course of action, or to change their attitude, which stinks, or to correct the way they're speaking, if, we, if we're going on about that, but we ourselves do those very same things, they will not be fooled. They will see through it, and the reprimand will be worthless. There's a joke, do what I say, not what I do. You heard that one? Do what I say, not what I do. But in reality, no one is going to do what you say if you don't do it. So let's beware of this. The righteous lead blameless lives and their children are blessed after them. Now, Christian parents here, here's a question for us to reflect on. Are your actions consistent with your professed beliefs? You say you believe this. Does the life, is your life consistent with that? And I'm going to assume the answer is not, not all the time. So today's the day to change. Now look, we are all imperfect. We're all weak. We're so flawed. We will all fail. We will all sin. So the most important thing here is not that you have failed, but what you do with your failure afterwards. You hear that? The most important thing is not that you're perfect, but what you do with your failure One of the most powerful things in in the world to a child is a parent who comes and apologizes, gets down to their level and admits they were wrong and repents. So if you have wronged your child, dear friend, don't let that opportunity go. And it might have been some time in the past. You can still do it. Humble yourself, go to them, show them the sweetness of repentance and the humility to ask forgiveness and you will do greater good than you can imagine. The environment is so important. Our words, our lives, and thirdly, our affections. There's that little verse that's in the previous slide, a lovely phrase, I was still tender and cherished by my mother. Cherished, that speaks of an atmosphere of affection. Just think about what it means to cherish somebody, to cherish them. They bring a smile to your face. You're happy to think of them. You'd set aside almost anything just to be there for them. They're so important. The verse in the original language literally says, I was, it was like I was the only one in the eyes of my mother. It's like I was the only one. My mum used to use this phrase, the apple of my eye. I don't know where that came from. I don't know how you I could have an apple. Anyway, I think it meant the same thing. See, a parent who gives unhurried, loving attention To a child, we'll see amazing results in his or her life. And every child needs to know that you love them powerfully, without conditions, without hoops to jump through, without strings attached. We always, uh, we've got into a habit, it's turning out to be quite expensive, actually, so I'm not necessarily recommending it. (laughs) We've got into a habit of saying, we will do a, a trip with dad at the end of your GCSEs, but before the results come out. So the the trip with dad is not about how well you did. It's just a trip with dad. Well done for being you. The uh, Kellers, in the book we mentioned, quote a researcher. This is really fascinating. This researcher interviewed some youths, and these young people had continued in their parents' Christian faith when they went on to be adults. And here's the thing. The key factor was not church attendance or family devotions or strictness of discipline. The key thing, they said, was that they felt they could talk to their parents about anything and they would still love them. Now, that's not to say, of course, church attendance, family devotions, and good discipline are irrelevant. But the more important thing is, can the kids talk to you about anything and you're still going to love them? Do we want to pass on our faith, our values to our children? We will need the whole of the environment involved, our words, our lives, our affections. And finally, I want to close with this third element, which I think in a way sets the background for the whole lot, and it's the environment of delight. Delight. So if the guys could bring up Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Proverbs 23 May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. The main job of parents is to pass on wisdom, teach the kids about right and wrong, good and evil, but it must be done in an environment of delight, mutual delight. The father delights in the son. The son delights in what the father is saying. You see, you may be teaching stuff that is really good and really true. But if you create a harsh atmosphere, the children will not really want to learn. And you risk turning them away completely. And I've seen that in Christian families. And it is the bitter tragedy. The parents know the Bible really well. They're trying to pass on stuff. But the atmosphere is so harsh kid's heart gets turned away. You've got to delight in them. The atmosphere of the home, the fragrance of its interactions, the little pleasures, treats of family life, having fun with your kids, laughing, laughing at yourself. These things are just as essential as teaching about right and wrong because they create the atmosphere of delight. And here again, I'm going to embarrass her again. My wife is such a good example to to, to me. She always made sure that Sunday, was a joy Sunday was the only day the kids were allowed to drink her precious diet coke (laughs) all week long they're asking for diet coke only on Sunday Sunday was the day for treats she'd bring back a big bag of sweets for them Sunday evening they could hang out with dad by the fire and read The Hobbit and sing the song from The Hobbit with the lights off we'll do it for you one time We might even go and get McDonald's on Sunday. As you can tell, we're very healthy eaters in our house. And what about church? We were all in it together. It's not us dragging the kids to church. They're on the team. And we were in a church plant, so it was really easy to do this. We all pray for the preacher in the car on the way there, because the preacher's usually dad, and he's usually last minute. We all know how much he needs prayer. (laughs) And then they joined in with the welcome, they joined in with stuff. So here's the funny thing about this. I've never actually heard one of our kids say, I don't want to go to church. And It's not because we're great parents. It's because my wife made Sunday a delight. Now, I'm not promising that this will happen for you, but you can see the principle at work. Make things a delight and the children are more likely to go along with them. If you're forever moaning about church and unhappy with it and critical of it, Why would you expect your children to be anything other than that? You get to choose. And my wife is very quick to pick up when the children do something kind or thoughtful or they have some kind of little success or achievement. She will affirm them verbally and never puts them down, never ever puts them down. She has a little song, build me up. (laughs) Build each other up. Celebrate them, honor them. Proverbs tells us to use discipline, yes. But behind it all, like the curtain covering the back of the stage, must be a love and delight in the children that is obvious to them. A family needs a constant, every single hour, expression of love, joy, and wonder. You've got to catch your children doing good and praise them for it. Not just catch them doing bad and give them what for. Give Take every opportunity for praise and The Lord will use your parenting. Look, I know this is a high bar, isn't it? And I tremble when I think about my parenting. I'm glad you don't see me behind closed doors. Um, I'm certainly not going to write a book except about mistakes we've made. How are we as flawed, weak human beings going to grow in our maturity for this awesome task? The gospel answer is not try harder, but grow in your knowledge and fear of the Lord. That's the foundation of wisdom. As we seek the fear of the Lord in our own lives and with regard to children, we must surely turn to some passages that speak of God in his capacity as our heavenly Father. And I want to just share two of them with you today. And I think if you sit with these texts for long enough, they will touch you deeply They may even melt your heart. And this knowledge of God is the surest way to grow as a parent. When I was about 20, 21 years old, I was at university. I was in a very low spot. It was actually self-harming. And I was really doubting the love of God for me. And in the post one day, a friend sent me a piece of art that he'd made as an artist. And it had on it a quote from Zephaniah. Which, let's be honest, most of us don't know where it is in the Bible. Zephaniah, it's not on your fridge magnet. But Zephaniah is one of the most precious passages about the Lord uh, as our Father. I'm going to read it to you. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Listen to this. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Can you bear to believe that? The Holy One, the God of all the universe, will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. He will quieten you. And he will rejoice over you with singing. That's our Heavenly Father. How on earth did that come about? How could God love one of us like that? And the answer is through Jesus Christ. He he loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Jesus prayed. He said, I pray for those who will believe in me, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then he said this, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is Jesus, the eternal son of God. Father, he says, you have loved them, even as you have loved me. He's saying, God the Father now loves you, Christian friend, just as much as he loves Jesus. And he delights over you. Let's pray. Lord, we want to confess today our failures in the realm of uh, teaching and being an example and raising children. Those of us who are parents feel it very keenly, and we all sense the significance of what we're promising to do here today. We bring these young families before you again. We ask for you to richly bless them, give them wisdom to know what kind of discipline. Help them to set an environment that's consistent, full of integrity. But above all, may their families be places of delight. Because they delight in you. For you have delighted in them first. Hear us and help us, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing when the musicians come up and uh, hand over to them. Thanks.
1: Should we stand and we'll sing our final song for today. Rise within you as a fragrant offering of how God seeking Christ to redeem All who trust in me unfailing love, the call of the to be children of light. of heaven we will also call, we will follow in hope to To the loss, in the father's compassion, in the wonder of and the cross, he sent for him to come. Let the nations know their trust in him, King of.
0: Oh, Amen. We will answer the call. Please do take your seats. We're going to close in just one moment. Uh, after this service, we've got refreshments at the back there, uh, this side. Tea and coffee and biscuits. Please do stick around. Please uh, get to know us. If it's first time here, uh, if you know, try and meet someone who looks like they know what they're doing. Uh, probably be another visitor, you know how it works. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. I'm going to stand by the front door, come and say hi. And um, just a reminder, we are back here again tonight, 6 o'clock, for our final journey into the book of Proverbs. We're thinking about plans, guidance, how does God guide, that sort of thing. So, as we close, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.
1: Thank you.